0: Okay, Good Friday, we are moving. Um, we're in a huge topic this morning. Just a tiny topic, a tiny doctrine. Uh, even as I was getting to this doctrine and the doctrine that we're gonna look at next week, so we're gonna look at uh, the cross, the atonement, uh, the death of Jesus this week, and we'll look at the resurrection next week. It's breathtaking. Um, we've come to Mount Everest uh, so here's how we're going to begin. I, 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 how do you begin a topic like that? That that was my question all week. How do you begin a topic on the death of Jesus? So, I did some reading and I came across this incident and I thought that's how you begin. Uh, the man dug and dug and dug for six uninterrupted years. Got that? digs for six uninterrupted years, six holes of holes everywhere, six years of holes everywhere, six years of massive mounds everywhere, six years of worthless dirt everywhere, as far as the eye can see. And then there's the other little detail about this whole thing that's even breathtaking when you read about it, is that every other major archaeologist had already been there, had already cleaned the site out, had discovered everything worth discovering. There was nothing else there. And so for six long years, he was a big joke. What are you doing? There's nothing there. And suddenly, Dr. Howard Carter, a British archaeologist, finds a strange airspace behind a rock in one of his holes. And he pushes on it and it opens. And he pokes his head through. And his aide, his aide that's right next to him, he pokes his head through and his aide says, Do you see anything? Man, they laughed and laughed and laughed about that for years till their grave. Did you see anything? Did you see anything? Dr. Howard Carter was blinking his eyes at the greatest archaeological discovery in the history of the world up to that point. The tomb of King Tut. It took 10 years to remove, catalog, and restore the 3,000 treasures buried there. The only archaeological discovery that people will argue is on par with discovering, I mean, the king's name is King Two. Tu- I didn't go with that, I learned from last week, King Tutankhamun. So we're going to stick with King Tut, because that's an easier thing to say. But there are 3,000 treasures that were buried there in 1942, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, King Tut was discovered in 1922. But can you imagine the aid, did you see anything? Do you see anything? Oh man. Y'all, we've come to like it. The treasure house of the Christian faith. Do you see anything? We've come to the doctrine of what's called the atonement. I want you to think when you think of atonement, I know that's a big theological word. Here's what I want you to think about the cross, the death of Jesus. That's the atonement. So you're like, okay, great, but I still don't know the significance. Fantastic. Do you see anything? So some of us blink at the cross this morning. We've been blinking at the cross for a long time and we look at it, we're looking and it's just nothing. There's nothing there. All you see are holes everywhere. Mounds of dirt everywhere. Worthless debris everywhere. You don't see anything. I don't see anything. Others of us blink at the cross and we think and we feel and we experience disappointment. I've been digging and digging and digging and digging. Nothing. I'm exhausted. I'm disappointed. And you're a Christian. You're active in church. It feels boring to you. You know there must be something more. You know you need more. And so you're ready to move on for something more. Today is a strange air pocket for all of us. Today is a strange air pocket that we're going to push on. And we're going to watch it open, and we're going to poke our head through, and the question that we're all going to ask, the question that God's going to ask of you this morning, do you see anything? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. I was debating whether I was going to do the last text. I think I might do the last text. So we'll just keep going, even though I'm not covering it in this sermon. That's not Hebrew. There we go. You ready? And immediately there was not immediately, don't you love this? Suddenly, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he, an unclean spirit, is a primal, evil, demonic spirit. Just so we're clear. He cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, "'Be silent, come out of him.' And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. "'And you,' now we're going to Paul. "'And you were dead in your trespasses "'and the uncircumcision of your flesh. "'God made alive together with him, "'having forgiven us of all our trespasses "'by canceling the written record, "'canceling the record of debt "'that stood against us with its legal demands.' This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, the authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Corinthians, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul's talking about future. Eventually, death will be destroyed. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, this is when it will happen, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. In other words, the bee, the bumblebee is death, but the stinger is sin. And the power of sin is the law. So death is a result of sin, and since power is in breaking God's law. Do you see that? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Now this is absolutely should take your breath away. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That is so interesting. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. All right, so here's why I want to read this, even though we're not going to cover it. Whatever we're about ready to read that happens here, it happens to a centurion soldier, and all he's doing is watching someone die. Do you see anything? And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. The same thing the demon said. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, I mean, good night. We've come to it. Um, I ask, no one's adequate for what we're about to look at, uh, as we even read Uh, It's foolishness, Uh, it's not found in this age, It's it's not found in our brains, it's not found in our experience, we don't feel this, we don't think this, it's not natural to us, and so we absolutely need your help. We absolutely, suddenly need you, Holy Spirit, to breathe on us and to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the atonement, the cross, the death of Jesus, do you see anything? So immediately there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He cries out, "What have I to do with what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God." But Jesus rebuked him saying, "Be silent, come out of him." The unclean spirit convulsed, cried out with a loud voice, and left. Now, Way, 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 way back before this event ever took place, way, 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 way back at the beginning of all things, there were two human beings, Adam and Eve, having a complete mental breakdown. We could call it spiritual, too, and we can call it emotional, but everything in their life and everything in their relationship and everything about their world is melting down, is breaking down. They are absolutely freaking out. Why? Because they, had, they were finally, they were like, they were caught. They were caught in this dark desire to be God. To be more specific, they were caught in this dark desire to take God's place. They wanted to be their own God in their own life. They were caught in this treasonous act of trying to overthrow God in their life, in their marriage, in the work that God had given them to do, and in creation that God had given them. And so they're having a complete mental breakdown because of this. And now there's, there's witnesses to all this. The witnesses are creation. And all of creation and all the creatures in creation are watching this. And while they're watching this happen, they're groaning, and all of creation is wailing, and all of creation is trembling. One theologian describes what's happening. He describes the scene this way. They, Adam and Eve, surrendered themselves, and the title deed of creation to Satan. Satan did not win the title humanity to humanity. We willingly gave it to him, just like Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew, So what's happening in this moment? Why is creation groaning? Because creation knows what these humans have done. Creation knows what's coming. Creation is groaning and wailing and trembling because they know the empire of death is coming. They know the palaces and prisons of darkness are coming. They're coming. And then suddenly in the middle of this mental, spiritual, relational, personal, cosmic breakdown, God shows up. And he says, do not the Satan slayer is coming and what do these words do what do these words set in motion you know what they do in one particular realm called the empire of death panic happens panic among the demonic Every day from those words, every day they would get up, every day for thousands of years, every day for generation after generation, the demonic dread the sunrise. They were saying, is today the day the Satan slayer arrives? Is today the day the one who will crush the head of our master arrives? Is today the day? So listen to the text again that we just read. And this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is just starting. He's just starting. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he, this primal, unclean, demonic spirit, cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And just like that, the Satan slayer has arrived. He's come and don't miss this the very first preacher the very first theologian the very first Bible expert is the demon what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God. The atonement, the cross, the death of Jesus. Do you see anything? Can you imagine what's going on in the empire of death at the cross? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the empire of death at the cross? It's roaring. I mean, put your... Put the greatest sport events on display. Put the thousands and thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in a stadium. I mean, open up the invisible realm. Open up the empire of death. And at the cross, it is roaring. We won. We slew the would-be slayer There's no more following genealogies for them and no more reading the stars to try to locate when he's going to show up. Can you imagine? There's no more backwater places they have to go to like Bethlehem and slaughter babies. They can now just do it for fun. There's no more unreliable evil people they have to stick around with that can't actually accomplish the plans to get rid of the seed of the woman. No more people like Cain and Lamech. No more people like Nimrod and Pharaoh. No more people like Queen Athelia and Herod and Perrot and the religious leaders and Caesar. No more people like Goliath and the Philistines and the Persians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians. We don't have to use those people anymore. We can now just play with them. Can you imagine what's going on at the cross in the empire of death? We slew the would-be slayer, it's finally over. The Apostle Paul calls this kind of thinking that they were having at that time. You know, the Apostle Paul might have even been thinking of the roaring that was going on in the empire of death at the cross, and he probably had that in mind, And, and then he starts thinking about all of us, and he says, you know, this kind of thinking, this way of seeing the world, you know what the Apostle Paul says it is? He just says, it's stupid, We just read about it. Did you hear that? Listen, I'll read it again. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. In other words, not stupidness. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of the world. In other words, that's stupid. Who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. In other words, it's not stupid. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. They're stupid. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All right, Paul is saying there are two options in the world. There are two ways of seeing the world. There's stupid, and then there's the wisdom of the cross. You see this? There's stupid, and then there's the wisdom of the cross. Stupid says, we slew the would-be slayer. The wisdom of the cross says, no, he just slayed you. He's the Satan slayer. The atonement, the cross, the death of Jesus. Do you see anything? Oh, yeah. Here's what we see. The death of the empire of death. The death of sin, the death of death, the death of hell, the death of the Satan, the death of the demonic. The atonement, the cross, the death of Jesus, is bringing down the palaces and prisons of darkness. Have you come to destroy us, the demon asked. Be silent and come out of him, Jesus says. Oh, yeah, I've come to destroy you. Now, how does that happen, though? I mean, that's... That's breathtaking. We could go, amen, let's go in peace and let's go have a nice meal. But how does the atonement actually do that? How does the atonement, how does the cross actually crush the empire of death? How does the atonement bring down the palaces and prisons of sin, the palaces and prisons of death, the palaces and prisons of hell, the palaces and prisons, the multiways that we imprison ourselves? In all of these things, the satanic, the demonic, sin, misery, all of these palaces and prisons, how does the death of Jesus collapse them? How does the cross kill the empire? The answer is not widely known today, which is amazing. The answer used to be widely known in the church. The answer used to be like the stuff that we just sang about was normal, The church knew the answer. Christians knew the answer. Church leaders knew the answer. Preachers knew the answer. And they not only just talked about the answer, they taught the answer and preached the answer in such a way that it was real. And real for everyone they taught. And it's an unknown answer today. It's almost like this. What if there was an unknown cure out there for all the woes of you and all the woes of your relationships and all the woes of the world? There's an unknown cure, but nobody knows about it. And if we do know about it, it's not very popular. So then there's a sense which, okay, the majority, it's an unknown cure out there. It's the root cure for all our woes, but we just don't know about it. It's an unknown cure. But then... When it is discussed, it's not very popular. For instance, most Bible experts, theologians, communicators of the Bible, uh, seminaries, Christians, churches don't like it. We're about ready to look at something that they don't like. They call it things like stupid. Premodern. Non-progressive. They call it things like theological patriarchy and privilege. They call it things like, that's just so doctrinally cold and abstract and impersonal. It's called things like legal fiction and the God of the West and the big one that just like rocked the seminary world when I was getting my doctorate. Divine child abuse. Now, with this view, with this particular view that's happening right now there's a lot of agreement on many aspects of the empire of death we'll get together i mean i will say yeah i agree with that and there's many aspects of christ as victor i'm like yep yep uh and then there's a lot to be thankful for let's move on let's exit the tomb please exit the tomb in your personal life please exit the tomb in your relationships please exit the tomb as a culture please exit the tomb that's a wonderful implication but the root cure is missing In other words, everything that we just looked at about the empire of death can be discussed in most of the places that we just talked about, but the root cure of it is not. And the root cure is the only way. Please hear me. It's the only way you're going to exit the tomb. It's the only way the empire of death ends, objectively and functionally in our life. Here it is. You ready? And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, you're in the empire of death. God made alive together with him. Now, how did God do this? How did God end the empire of death? How does God end or cut off, circumcise the body of sin and all the empire deathness that goes with it? How does He make you alive from the empire of death? You ready? Here's the Bible's answer having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In other words, according to the Bible, the root problem is not the empire of death. The empire of death is a symptom. The empire of death is a consequence. The empire of death is the bee. What's the stinger? What's the root? The root Problem for all our woes. Sin's death debt. The death sentence. In other words, the stinger, the root problem is sin's debt to the law, sin's debt to God's justice, sin's debt to God. This is why the Corinthians, Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And so sin's death debt is why the Bible uses words like guilt, sin's guilt. Sin's death sentence, the wages of sin is death. This death sentence, this verdict, this overarching legal declaration, we're guilty. This is why the Bible uses words like sin's condemnation. And it uses words like sin's curse. And it uses words like blame. And it uses words like sin brings blame. It's It spots us. It's unclean. It's why there's judgment. Sin has judgment. Sin has punishment. All those words that you hear in the Bible, this is what it's getting to. It's getting to this sin's death debt. Sin's death sentence. So the sinner owes a st- A sin debt, which means the sinner must die. And this death debt is the root problem for all our woes. If this sin death debt gets dealt with, it's the root cure for everything. So, let's look at it again. The atonement, the cross, the death of Jesus. Do you see anything? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What the atonement does, what the cross does, what Jesus' death does is it pays your debt. It cancels the debt. It nails your debt to the cross. Jesus becomes the sinner, and the sinner must die. And by doing so, he changes everything. He cures everything. He undoes everything. The palaces and the prisons of the empire come crashing down. So push on this strange pocket. Push on it just for a second. What happens when your debt is paid? Notice, look at verse 15. This is what happens when your debt is paid. He disarms the rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame by trampling or triumphing over them in the cross. In other words, once the death debt is paid, they come tumbling down. Breathtaking. Now we're gonna tease out a lot more of the implications next week. But here's what you can know right now. What is the atonement? Why did Jesus have to die? What happened at the cross? The answer my debt is paid. It's paid in full by the precious blood that my Savior spilled. Right? And it says, Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Oh, Who the sun sets free is free indeed.